Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. Hey, Crosswalk, what is happening? My name is Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Church in Redlands, and I'm coming to you as the teaching pastor for our Crosswalk network of churches, seven churches now, and a few on the way. I got to tell you, it's uh, pretty exciting what God is doing through this place and these spaces. And so thank you for being a part of it. I'm really excited because we are coming into the second season of Uncomfortable, right? I hope you remember that last series because it was really interesting. And this time we've got some great topics. Number one, and we're talking about uncomfortable people, um, uncomfortable worship, uncomfortable diversity, and even uncomfortable unity and what it takes to be uncomfortable when you're swimming against the tide of the culture in which we live. Um, if you remember the first season, we took a look at things like um, discomfort, right? The uncomfortable cross, uncomfortable holiness, uncomfortable truths, and uncomfortable love. So we've gone through a lot and we're taking a lot in. If you've been reading the series guide so far for this series, you knew that we talked about a lot of different um, uncomfortable situations with some uncomfortable people within scripture. And that's what we're talking about today, uncomfortable people. But we're not going to land on just one particular uncomfortable person or one particular scriptural story. What we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be in community with uncomfortable people, right? And why this? Why, why should we even talk about this? Well, I would say that the reason why is because the church is filled with uncomfortable people. Church, especially when you say that you are a community of belonging, brings in people who are, well, not like us, that we wouldn't hang out with and wouldn't hang out with us, who don't vote like us and don't seem like we have a reason to connect with them, different ideologies, different politics, different cultures, different upbringings, even just different views of the world. I mean, the truth is, the reason why we're talking about this is because we are all a little crazy. And that is uncomfortable, right? Let's face it. Everyone's got a little crazy. It's okay. If you don't think you do, it's just because you haven't been paying attention or you're not married yet. Because once you're married, you realize that your spouse has a lot of crazy in their family. And the thing is, they're thinking the same thing about you and what you grew up with and what you have become comfortable with and what you think is normal is kind of crazy to somebody else, right? You're crazy is normal to someone else, and your normal is crazy to someone else, right? I mean, stuff as simple as when do you open presents? Do you do, do, you do it on New Year, or Christmas Eve, or do you do it on Christmas morning, right? When you get together as a family, what do you do when you get together as a family? Are you a game-playing family? Are you sports-watching family? Are you sports-playing family? Are you an eating family? Are you a cooking family? All these things are different. Right? So why do we stay together if it is so uncomfortable? Which is a good question because the truth is no one's taking attendance here at our churches. You can come and you can go and hopefully you'll be missed. But in our larger churches, it's sometimes hard to know who's here and who's not. In our smaller churches, a little bit easier, but still, right? No one is telling us that we have to stay together. So is there something more? I love what... Don Carson says in his book, Hard Places, he says this, what binds us together is not common education, common race, common income, 
levels, uh, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural co-location, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. And in light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that we have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Now, that's strong words. They are a band of natural enemies. I wonder if this feels a little strong. It feels a little strong to me because I'm not necessarily enemies with everyone in the room. But scripture does put opposites together. In fact, it says that there's not even opposites between us. Right? Galatians 3, 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Right? In other words, the organizing principle must be Jesus. Because if the organizing principle is not Jesus, then this thing falls apart. Because it's too uncomfortable, it's too different, it's too frictional. Frictional? Right? There has to be something beyond who we are that holds us together. A common principle, a higher love, a deeper commitment. Right? Regardless of what people say, our organizing principle is Jesus. It has to be. And so when I hear different people in the church say, we are this or we are that, as opposed to we come together because of Jesus, or even that our job is not necessarily Jesus, that our job is maybe something else, I'm deeply concerned because without Jesus, this whole thing falls apart. If he is not our organizing principle, if he is not, if he's not the reason of the day, right? If he is not the reason we get up in the morning, the reason that we worship, the reason that we fellowship together, if it is not Jesus, then what is it? Because I don't think it's going to be enough. But listen, even within all that diversity, it's pretty difficult to stay together. So how do we stay together if we are so different? And I've been thinking about this a bit in the context of the church and what is happening in the world today. Right? We're moving into a year that's going to be pretty divisive in our country. We've talked about that. And a world that as, is as divided as it has ever been, regardless of what we're talking about. So how do we hold this community together, all of our communities together, when things are so fractured? And I've got thoughts, just so you know. Right? How do we live with uncomfortable people, not because they're just different, or perhaps we, we interpret that as strange or maybe weird or perhaps crazy. If we're called together to be a community of belonging, and we're called to be, together not to be a homogenous community, but a diverse community, where do we begin and how do we stay together? Well, listen, I think it begins with worship. And next week, um, we're going to be talking about uncomfortable worship. But a community that worships together has the common bond of the Holy Spirit. We worship together without segregating by age or by interest, right? We come together and we worship together. Now, there are people who come to our churches, all of our churches, if you're watching this today, there's somebody in this room that doesn't like the way that we worship. 
But they've decided to stay because they found value within the community, regardless of whether or not they like it. I got to say, good for you. Right? We've chosen the way that we worship because it's relevant and meaningful to us. It, um, it is why, it's how we do it, and we don't apologize for it. We're really, hopefully we do it excellently in every single one of our spaces. But some of you, it's not your thing. I get that. But you've decided to stay anyway. And what I want you to understand is that even if you don't necessarily like the way that worship happens, that if you're receptive to the Holy Spirit, you can be bonded with the people in the room because of the Holy Spirit and what he does through worship. Right? Hebrews 10.25 says it pretty simply. It says, Let us not neglect our meeting together. Some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. One of the things that worship does is it encourages one another. Right? Whether we're singing the same songs, whether we're studying the same scripture, or whether we're in the room together assenting to the fact that we will be community and our community means that we mutually encourage. Because worship is not just about music, of course. It's about mutual encouragement. That comes from Romans 1, by the way. What we give to one another. We come together to experience God together. And in that, we find a mutuality. Right? We find commonality and we understand who we are under a gracious God and we understand and learn that together. And there's something about learning that together, reasoning together, that is important for us. Right? So this is the first way that we stay together when we don't have to, is that we worship together. And that means we also, if it's going to be true worship, we have to put ourselves aside a little bit, humble ourselves in the midst of a gracious God, in fact, in the presence of a gracious God, and allow the Holy Spirit to work amongst us and between us, through us, and for us, especially for one another. But we also stay together by hearing the whole counsel of God, even when that's unpopular. Now, let's talk a little bit about what the whole counsel of God is, because I think sometimes... Sometimes what we hear when we hear the whole counsel of God, at least I hear this, there's preachers who say the whole counsel of God, so that means I need to, I need to convict you of your sin, right? That is the whole counsel of God, me telling you that you're a sinner. Well, that's a piece of it, but I think we have a tendency to linger too long on that. And some of you have come from church communities where that was kind of the main thing to do is make sure everybody in the room knew that they were sinners. I'm going to assume that we know that that's why we're in church. That's why we're trying to get closer to God. That's part of our spiritual journey is the ascent to that. But we want to make sure we understand what the whole counsel of God is. And by the way, that comes from 20, uh, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20, verse 27. Um, this is Paul speaking actually, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. Paul is actually saying like, I'm okay because I did everything that God wanted me to do. And the reason why I did that, and he's talking to the Ephesians right now. He says, the reason why I did that is because God wanted me to teach you the whole gospel. So what is it? Well, we find it in Ephesians beginning in chapter two. First of all, it says we are dead to sin, dead in sin and deserving God's wrath, right? We are sinners and, and we believe that we need a savior. Because we've recognized, that's Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, by the way. We recognize that we cannot save ourselves through keeping the law. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Right? So Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, we recognize that we are sinners. And we recognize that we are well-deserving of God's wrath. And then we cannot save ourselves through the keeping of the law, right? Works are not going to save us because Paul makes the argument that the law is only good for pointing out sin. And so the law is not going to fix what's broken in us. It's going to let us know and I think by now we know, right? But then we understand that the gospel is a call to repentance and faith, 
right? That's the good news of the gospel, that the gospel is a call to repentance and faith. But also, and this comes from John actually, that believers will face persecution and probably will be considered foolish, right? All of this is wanted to know. That's the whole counsel of the gospel, right? You need Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is available to you by grace through faith, by faith through grace. And, um, and, And then once we live this life, it's possible that we'll face persecution and it's possible that we'll be considered foolish, Now, one of the things that's important to know is that Paul did not speak in half-truths, but he taught the totality of God's salvation through Jesus. It's clear in the book of Ephesians. It's clear in the book of Galatians. We see it again in the book of Romans, probably his most outstanding theological treatise, right? And we should preach and believe the same, that you are saved fully while you are a sinner by the grace of God, what Jesus did on the cross, him crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, right? So, so it's important that we they preach the whole gospel. And one of the things that we do is we release people by preaching the whole gospel. And we release one another to be uncomfortable. We release one another to be in community with one another by preaching that full gospel and preaching the assurance of salvation that comes by grace through faith to us all, to all of us. Jesus died for every single one of us. We don't list hierarchy of sins. We don't say, my sin is less worse than this person's sin. We don't do that. We recognize that God's grace covers us all. His grace is sufficient, we say. And in doing that, we recognize that the person next to us is just as saved as I am because of what Jesus has done. Because it's not about what that person's done. It's not about what I've done. All right? That's, that's the totality. It's the full counsel of God. And again, I've heard, it, I've heard it preach, the full counsel of God, to, to really lean on that first part, knowing that you're sinners, right? We know this, and we know this is why we need Jesus. So how else do we stay together with uncomfortable people, and why should we, right? Getting back to our thoughts on this. I, one of the ways we do it is by fighting homogeneity and cultivating diversity, right? Celebrating the fact that we are not the same, age, race, gender, even more. But we are blessed to be a diverse community, and, and we've got a whole week just talking about diversity, which I think is really, really important. But it's also really important for us to know that when we walk into a room that doesn't look like us, it's that much more gracious when we welcome each other into it. And I think that's really beautiful. And one of the things I love about going to all of our different campuses is that there is a level of diversity to every single one of our different campuses. It's not homogenous. We don't all look the same. Yes, we you know, have a particular look and worship that we give and that sort of thing, but, but I'm amazed how many different people and how many different races and cultures and ethnicities and how many different ages really fall in love with what God is doing through Crosswalk Church. This keeps our communities thriving. It keeps our communities from groupthink as well, from just saying, yep, okay, this is the way we go because we're all the same. Right? That keeps us together because even in the friction, it keeps things warm. Right? Nobody wants to be where it's lukewarm. Nobody wants to eat lukewarm oatmeal. Right? And, and we see that when we talk about Laodicea, which I, you know, just for the record, I believe that um, all the churches were for all the times because we go through all those different churches that we find in Revelation. But Laodicea is particular. Right? God spits it out of his mouth because it's lukewarm. Our diversity creates, even if it's friction, it creates heat, and that's important. 
We stay together by prioritizing the values of church membership and giving, right? So it's actually important for us to say, I belong here. And the way we say I belong here is by moving our membership in. Some of our churches have been really great about this. Some have not been so great. And listen, there's a whole way that the church functions with membership. Um, And for us, it's really easy. Just go to the website and um, click membership, right? There's a membership option and, and fill out the form. And we'll go look for your previous church membership. Hopefully you'll tell us where it is. If not, we can look for it. It's a worldwide church and they have that information usually. If not, we can always join by profession of faith if we cannot find that membership. Or certainly baptism. That's one of the ways. But we prioritize that because this is a piece of us. This is where we belong. And we have kind of staked our claim and said this is where we're going to be. That's important. Right? Because it gives us a sense of identity with that place and with those people. You stop being a tourist right? You engage and you begin to give to the work of God. Now we talk about giving some, not as much as other places, but probably more than other, other places as well. We talk about giving not simply because of the support that it gives to the church, even though that is something that's needed. It would be great not to have to ask for anything, but we do. But we also do it because it's a spiritual discipline to engage and invest in the place where you're blessed and in the place that you call home, which is really important. Now, you don't have to think that it's important, but we give to that which we value. And we also give to that which we believe is doing good work. Hopefully, that's every single one of our spaces. So prioritizing the values of church membership and giving are actually pretty important. Because it's not just us saying that you belong. It's you saying that you belong. It's you saying, this is my space. This is my place. I'm a part of this. I'm engaged and I'm giving. Right? 2 Corinthians 9-7 is a great text about, about giving. Right, You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. So not trying to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. This shows commitment to a community and to the mission and work of God through that particular community. That's one of the ways that we stay together. And it actually does make a difference because once you believe that this is your space, Once you believe that this is your place, you're not going to let somebody push you out. As well, it's going to help you to stick around if the church goes through a hard time or changes pastors. Uh, Churches change over time, right? We understand that. And that is in the hands of the congregation, by and large, if you know. Uh, Sometimes churches go through difficult times, hard times. And some people have lived and stayed through some really difficult times at Crosswalk Church, mostly in Redlands. Um, but, but each one of our churches will experience difficult times. We know that, we understand that, and we prepare for that. We don't plan for it, but we prepare for it. Um, and that's kind of just the reality of life in a church, right? And what's fascinating is that Crosswalk in Redlands has been around for 20 years. It had seven just booming years, and then it had three or four really difficult years. And there were some people who left and they came back. Some people who left and never came back. But the ones that I really admire are the ones that stayed through it and fought through it, helped lead through it. And if this were Saturday morning and I was in Redlands, I could point to those people because they're still there. I know exactly who they are. They're the people who said, we are not going to allow a shift in leadership or a shift in focus. Take us away from the community that we invested in, that we believe in, and that we're going to help lead through these difficult times. And they did that, and it's incredible, and they're still here. Right? Commitment to community is important to weather the hard times. So by doing that, 
right? We help the church in difficult times because, you know, mountains and valleys, ebbs and flows, that's what we're going to have. In any community, that's what you're going to have. But we also stay together by building a tight-knit community. But it's important that you understand this last piece, not an insular one. And this is hard. Because I can imagine that there are people who feel like, you know, I go to crosswalk, but I can't break in, right? It's because it's easy to create cliques, to create in-groups and out-groups. Really, we just create in-groups and then other people feel like they're out. We have to work to create intimate communities, but make sure that they're not insular communities. They need to have belonging. Right? We all need to have belonging. And one of the ways that we do this is by serving in the church, which, by the way, ends up being small groups. Right? The other way is by joining specific small study groups. That's another way to do it. And I don't care if your church has 50 people. I don't care if your church has um, 750 people. Getting engaged in smaller groups, whether it's through service or whether it's through small group engagement, is incredibly important because that helps build a tight-knit community. However, we don't want to build an insular community. So what we do is we make sure that those small groups, I think, have you know beginnings and ends and also have opportunities for more people to join in or to split and grow, all that types of things. Right? I'm so excited that we have John Ciccarelli here at Redlands Campus because he will be building out a discipleship process and program that will hopefully help us in understanding what it means to be in small groups, what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus, to live from the overflow, and then to help build tight-knit communities that are not insular but are welcoming. That's really important as well. Some of you do that incredibly well. Um, all of us need to work on it and make it a little bit better. And that's just new, right? So for some of us, we haven't stepped into a new church in a really long time. And so next time you go to church, even crosswalk, right? And even if you help build it, try and look at it through a new person's eyes and see if there's opportunities and on-ramps for them to get involved in a community and build that, ni- that nice, tight-knit network, right? We stay together by becoming engaged members. This means we move past consuming church and we begin to add to the community by our time and our engagement. Uncomfortable people become less uncomfortable as we work together in service to God through the church, We understand that. We know that, right? When we're working with someone, we get to know them in a different way. We get to share communication. I used to run a thrift store with a previous ministry that we had. And I got to know people so well when I was in the back just sorting through other people's junk, right? And it was gross, some of it. And sometimes we find something pretty cool. Uh, I remember finding a a $1,000 North Face jacket that I purchased through the thrift store, and I still have. Um, there's, there's really wonderful opportunities as we serve. I watch our baristas. I watch our, our um, hospitality team. I watch the people who work with kids and the way that they build community and grow community. It gives them a stick-to-itiveness. It gives them an opportunity to stay together, right? And sometimes when those people first saw each other, they did not like each other. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had across our network with people who are like, yeah, when they showed up, we weren't sure. But man, they're such incredible volunteers. I love working with them. They're so amazing. It's so great. So, right, we got to give each other a little space, a little time to become engaged, and then we get to know each other, right? Hebrews 13, 16 says it this way, don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God, right? We do this not just with our money, but with our engagement in the ministries of the church as well so that we can continue to do it. But 1 Thessalonians says this, so encourage each other and build 
each other up just as you are already doing. We do this by working together and we do this by encouraging one another. This is the purpose of the church. We do this by serving one another in church. Right? Because even, and I'm jumping all over scripture here, but Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because that's what Jesus did for us. So that's why we serve. We serve the church, those who are coming in, but we also serve the other people who are serving. And in, in that same way, we are served as we are mutually encouraged. Right? <clears throat> another way that we stay together as a church is that we bear with one another in love. And we hold one another accountable. Now, how do we do this in a bigger church setting? And even in a smaller church setting, right? Because it's uncomfortable. And I think we have sometimes thought that holding one another accountable is calling out each other's sin. That's not it. Even though sometimes there's a piece of that, we don't do that publicly. We, we follow the, the prescription in scripture to sit down with somebody, to grow, to learn. But we only do that if we're in community with them. And... Let me just say this, and this is how I feel. I've had people come to me and say, you need to go tell those people to stop doing what they're doing because that's not okay and it's sin and whatever. And I don't know those people. And I've said, no, I'm not going to actually do that because I'm not in community with those people. They come to the church, but it's a big church, and I don't actually know them. So my first interaction with them is not going to be, hey, stop this. But if you're in an accountable relationship with them and you know how to bear with one another in love and help grow someone towards the kingdom of God— you can have those conversations. You can't do it with the authority of the church, which I'm not really 100% sure what that is sometimes. Um, but if Jesus is the organizing principle, then let the church become a place that helps organize other aspects of your life as well. Work to get to know people and have accountable relationships. But not just accountable relationships to hold us accountable for the things we do wrong, but accountable relationships to celebrate when God is blessing us and God is growing us. Right now, how, how can we engage in what we've just talked about? That's a whole lot. What, what stances do we need to take as we step into church to not only create those communities of belonging, but stay when there's uncomfortable people or when we're uncomfortable? I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to change our posture. We so often come to church in a defensive posture, Right? We don't want to be hurt, and we've been hurt. We carry baggage, and we're skeptical. But what if we had a different posture, one that's not so defensive, one that's a little more open to receive what God has for us through worship, through the Word, and of course, through the community? What would that posture look like for you? Would it be wide open, waiting for a hug? Would it be laughing? with your head thrown back because of the joy that you found in a conversation with someone else? Would it be just a smile on your face, willing to receive whatever blessing someone else is willing to give you? If you've been hurt in church before, it's time to see if you can release that and change your posture. I wish I could promise that you'll never be hurt in church again, but I can't. Churches are full of uncomfortable people. Churches are full of people who make mistakes. Churches are full of sinners. So it's a risk being part of a community and changing your posture so that you might be hurt. My hope is that you'd be blessed and not hurt. And I think that that's probably by and large what happens. Secondly, be teachable. We come to church to open up and learn, to change and be transformed, 
to let go of preconceived notions, to have God do a good work in our hearts. Perhaps that means we need to find humility and allow others to pour into us. Don't come to church knowing it all, right? Come to church being willing to be taught. Cling to Jesus. Listen, if this is the organizing principle, then we have to keep going back and back there again and again. Paul did it over and over Each time, he said, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Cling to Christ. And lastly, I think we need to do this. Look at the eternal picture. You may be uncomfortable one morning. You may sit next to somebody who's just not who you want to sit next to. But look at the eternal picture. Sabbath. Worship. These things are a glimpse of the eternal. It is our practice of forever together. So we learn to share our time, our resources, as we know that forever doesn't happen alone. Keeping forever in mind helps us get through the Sabbaths, even if they are uncomfortable at times. So what do we have to do? We have to learn to be uncomfortable together. And there are uncomfortable people that will you will come in contact with and there will be people who are uncomfortable coming in contact with you. If we change our posture and we are willing to learn clinging to Jesus, keeping that eternal picture in mind, we understand that we're called to be together, uncomfortable or not. We have the time and the inclination to think about forever, so let's learn to live with one another in joy and in community. When I was first a student missionary, I met a bunch of people and I just didn't like them at first. I didn't like them because I was insecure. I didn't like them because I was nervous and I was homesick, but I found I didn't like these people. After nine months, day in, day out, working together, serving God, playing, praying, laughing, working, they become some of my favorite memories of my whole life and people I call my closest friends. It's not because I became less uncomfortable or they became less uncomfortable, but we got to know each other. We worked together and got to love each other. And we began to realize that together, we were the church. And we saw the kingdom of God grow through the students that we worked with. I don't know that we were ever comfortable, but we became a tight-knit group willing to let other people in and growing together. So let us learn to be uncomfortable with one another as we grow through this uncomfortable series. Let's bow our heads. Lord of grace, thank you. We are so grateful. And Lord, um, thanks for bringing uncomfortable people into our lives. Uh, You don't make it easy sometimes. And Lord, let us recognize when we're the uncomfortable person for somebody else so that we can see your grace in them and they might see your grace in us. We pray this in your name, the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, go to crosswalkvillage.com Chattanooga and click the Give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop-down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.